The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome, everybody. This is Squawk Box. Let's get into your headlines this hour. Deutsche Bank hopes to offset economic weakness with market strength to beat forecasts this quarter. But some analysts warn guidance may be the weak spot. We're going to break the numbers and hear from CFO James Van Moltke. The Spanish banking giant Santander has posted a first-half net loss of just over 10 billion euros as provisions rose over 60% to 7 billion euros. No lap of luxury for Keering as sales at the French fashion group fall almost 44% in the second quarter while the retailer is scrapping its forecast saying there will not be a bounce back in the second half. And shares in Starbucks get a caffeine boost in extended trade as a decline in worldwide sales is not as bad as expected. And the group says it'll return to profitability this quarter. So let's just recap the uh, Santander numbers that came out within the last few minutes here. As we pointed out, there is that provisioning number at 7 billion euros. Uh, As you break down the figures here, the second quarter net loss in at 11.13 billion euros. The bank, I think, will be a little bit disappointed with the return on tangible equity they're delivering here. Having uh, spoke to the management on many occasions over recent years, they had this target of... uh, uh, double-digit ROTE going forward. The ROTE they've given us here uh, for the trading period, 5.44%. And just let's circle back to the um, uh, provisioning that we mentioned uh, because the bad loan ratio has come in at 3.26%. The bank uh, continues, obviously, to focus on uh, resilience where it can find it in its Latin American markets. But inevitably, um, I think, as you're seeing with many of the banks that have got a high exposure to consumer banking business, uh, there is inevitably that impact uh, that you get from uh, COVID-19. Let me uh, slip neatly and gently into the Deutsche Bank earnings report. We're just getting some details coming through on their second quarter reports. The bank says group net revenues up 1% to 6.3 billion euros. Core bank net revenues up 6% to 6.4 billion euros. The provisioning for credit losses of 761 million euros. Uh, They are reaffirming guidance of um, a 35 to 45 basis point uh, on loans. The uh, bank says the net profit coming in at 61 million euros, uh, group pre-tax profit of 158 million euros at this point. The bank says uh, pre-tax profit of 158 million euros in the second quarter of 2020 with the ongoing transformation program fully on track. Uh, The CEO says our strong capital position not only demonstrates our resilience, but also gives us scope 
for growth. That's a, a first blush here on net revenues up 46%. Clearly what we're looking for, as we have done with all of these banks in the European context, is the ability of banks that have both retail and uh, business banking to have offset some of the weakness in those areas with resilience around markets and investment banking. So we'll tell you a little bit more about how the management sees these numbers and the opportunity going forward when we hear from the CFO, James Van Moltke. That will be 8 Central European time. Carrefour has reported operating profit jumping by 29% in the first half as the French supermarket giant raised its full-year cost savings target. Europe's largest retailer delivered €480 million in savings between January and June and promised more price cutting in its core French market. Uh, Group performance was also helped by strong sales in Brazil and Spain. The luxury goods company Keering has posted a 43% fall in sales for the second quarter, which was uh, a mite better than the analysts had expected. The French luxury group also delivered uh, solid operating margin, but declined to offer a forecast for the rest of this year. Uh, Charlotte is drilling into the numbers for us. Good morning, Charlotte. Good morning, Jeff. As you said, uh, results better than expected at Kering. Uh, Q2 revenue at 2.18 billion euros. That was down 44% on comparable basis. But looking at the details of the different brands at Kering, of course, Gucci being the most important one, the one really, uh, the, the, the one making the money for the group, uh, the sales there were down 45%, like for like Saloron and 48.4%. So again, that was better than expected. The pretty dire numbers, but better than expected. A good surprise was from Bottega Veneta, again, a brand that been, they've been working on revamping and rebooting. And that's bearing fruit because sales there were down only 24%. And they mentioned in particular for this brand, a positive momentum in mainland China and South Korea. Uh, but as you mentioned, operating margin was a positive surprise there of this set of results at 17.7% for the first half. Uh, that was better than expected, and especially after what we've seen at LVMH yesterday, that was actually disappointing on operating margin here, carrying, delivering on that front. Now, looking at June in particular, Kering said they saw double-digit growth in China. And bear in mind that Kering is more reliant on the Chinese consumer and on China market than LVMH, for example. They saw a big boost there in, in June. And they also said that they saw some positive moves from mid-June in the US. However, Europe is still depressed in particular with tourists uh, not having come back just yet. Uh, they also mentioned that e-commerce was up 72% in Q2. So here, trend, it'd be interesting to see whether it is maintained in the future We're here offsetting a little bit the closing of some of the store closures um, now they said for the rest of the year as you mentioned that they don't have enough visibility uh, but one thing they know is that uh, they won't be able to make up for the losses of revenue in the first half of the year the second half they won't be able to catch up on all this loss of revenue experience uh, so they said they still work on cost control uh, but without cutting back on expenditure and investment so here again a bit of a positive surprise from Kering. So overall, better than expected from Kering, uh, bearing the fruit of uh, being more reliant on the Chinese market than uh, some of their competitors. And here Gucci carrying within momentum. They had an incredible drive over the past few quarters. And this is still continuing and uh, giving some positive results for Kering, Jeff. 
Okay, Charlotte, thank you. We'll come back to you a little bit later on. Let me update the uh, picture on the uh, luxury goods sector with details on Ferragamo. Sales at Ferragamo fell by 60% in the second quarter as global lockdown measures forced widespread store closures. The Italian fashion group saw revenue fall to 377 million euros for the first six months of the year and said it could not provide a clear outlook for the rest of the year. And that is the challenge here. Um, as I uh, just give you a, a, an update on the lines out of Deutsche Bank, because the, the difficulty is that we had the guidance withdrawn back in March by a lot of organizations, and now we're only getting hesitant guidance at this point. Deutsche Bank says provisions for credit losses expected to increase in 2020 due to continued normalization of provisioning levels, lower recoveries and the impact of COVID-19. And in part, that defines the problem that investors are going to have from this quarter, that even as we get the earnings, the messaging is we see more opacity ahead. We see the prospect of further challenges to the business. So what about the central banks? What are they going to deliver? What does the Fed have in store for us today? We'll have Dollar Bull David Bloom of HSBC coming up next to give us his thoughts on the Fed and where the greenback goes. We'll see you right after this. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. So a very warm welcome back to the program here. I just want to talk briefly about parenting and about timeouts. For all of you parents who are stuck at home at the moment with very young children and you're trying to manage the situation, and I know that one or two people in our newsroom over here have very young children that they're having some issues with, particularly when it comes to homeschooling. Do you know what the timeout is? The timeout is a wonderful technique for trying to just bring things to a halt, refocus on the issues at hand, and begin to rebuild. And it's very interesting that timeout is my phrase of the morning because, of course, President Trump had a 12-hour timeout on his Twitter account for apparently tweeting something that the Twitter people did not like about hydroxychloroquine. And uh, right now, obviously, going into these tech hearings in Congress... The technology companies are very sensitive about being seen to do the right thing with information. Timeout, I think, also applies a little bit to what we're seeing in the equity market activity here. The technology companies took us lower on the NASDAQ, and that brought, if you like, a wave of weakness uh, across the, uh, the rest of the U.S. markets. And of course, there have been a lot in the markets at the moment saying, you want to know why the S&P has been going up this year? It's five stocks, people. It is no more than that. So a lot of investors perhaps just taking a pause 
There are multiple issues, as you know, not just President Trump's Twitter account. There is the stimulus impasse that we still have. There is the issue of rising cases in many parts of the world at the moment. And of course, the issue of what the Fed is going to deliver for us today. Will it imply that there is more easing to come? And we'll get onto that in just a second. The Treasury market, as you would anticipate, is also having a good hard think about the timeout and whether yields on the 10-year note can go any further lower than this. I know a lot of um, very wise economists out there, so-called wise economists, thought that 0.6% was the base for the 10-year Treasury, and yet we seem to crank the handle a little lower on this yield curve. What does that mean for the dollar? Well, it's been a tussle, hasn't it, really? The DXY is really where the dollar weakness has been most pronounced, but you do see in some of the crosses here as well um, that the dollar has been a little bit on the back foot of late as... uh, as I say, that time out, people anticipate that actually the recovery will not be as strong as many had hoped for. And some of the coincidental indicators, like the consumer confidence number that we got out yesterday, suggest that expectations could be weakening a little bit going forward, which of course will be important for those who are trying to anticipate whether we get inflation from all this stimulus. So let's have a look at gold, because of course, there are a lot of people that argue that gold is the ultimate anti-inflation trade. It is that silver bullet to the werewolf. It is that cross and holy water for the vampire. Gold is retreating from that $2,000 an ounce level that we briefly nudged up against here. And as you can see from the chart, it's been unable really to rebuild towards that level over the last 24 hours here. So let's refocus on the COVID story. The number of deaths that we see now in the United States has surpassed 150,000, according to an NBC News tally. It comes as six states in the South and West reported one-day records for fatalities. The number of cases across the country has now topped 4.3 million. President Trump has defended hydroxychloroquine as a potential coronavirus treatment, saying, quote, many doctors think it's successful. This after he shared a video on Twitter which called the malaria drug, quote, a cure for COVID, despite evidence it was ineffective in treating the disease. Twitter said that post was misleading and removed it from the platform. Microsoft's co-founder Bill Gates says therapeutic drug treatments may help greatly reduce the death rate from the virus by the end of 2020. Speaking to CNBC, the billionaire philanthropist added he is still concerned by the spread of the pandemic virus, but was encouraged by recent vaccine trials. You're just going to hear, you know, various phase threes will start uh you know, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is a, a particularly good low-cost vaccine. Uh, the AstraZeneca's and Moderna are, are two of the first to get out there. But, uh, you know, we live every day with our vaccine experts talking to these companies because, you know, how we put the world's resources behind these isn't just driven by a normal sort of market thing. This is, you know, cooperation to figure out within a country and across countries 
where this vaccine should go. Bill Gates talking on CNBC. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has ruled out any compromise with Democrats on liability protection, telling CNBC he would not pass a bill without including the measure. Democrats are opposed to the legal shield for businesses amid concerns about employee safety. McConnell insisted he would stand firm on the issue. There's no chance of the country getting back to normal without it. No chance whatsoever. And so as the majority leader, I can tell you no bill will pass the Senate that doesn't have the liability protection in it. The Democrats need to understand that for the country to get back to normal, we cannot have an epidemic of lawsuits on the heels of the pandemic that is not over yet, that we're trying to get through. Mitch McConnell, the Federal Reserve has extended its emergency lending facilities until the end of 2020. It comes amid concern over how long the virus will weigh on the U.S. economy. The facilities were set up in March and April in a bid to stabilize markets and were due to run out in September. The announcement came as Fed officials began their two-day meeting with a policy decision due out later today. Uh, David Bloom joins us, global head of FX strategy at HSBC. David, Good to have your company this hour. So where are you on the dollar call? Well, I'm still uh, uh, pretty dollar bullish, um, as you as you said. And uh, I just wish the uh, dollar sell-off would have a timeout. You spoke about timeout. So some of the hate that I'm now receiving would have a timeout. Never got the love when I got it right for two years. But July has been tough for me. Um, so I'm not giving up on the dollar. Forecast for euro dollar still 110 uh, cable 120. This dollar ain't finished. I don't know where people are getting from. Of course, currencies go up and they go down and the economies, uh, you know, go up and go down and sentiment changes. So as Shakespeare said, even the path of true love is not smooth. And it ain't been smooth for me in July. What do you think is the primary motive for those who are selling down dollar at this point? Is it the COVID numbers in the States or the implication from the Fed that it is bending over backwards to do more here because it sees the recovery as weaker than perhaps other market analysts? You know, I, I know what people say about the recovery, but I was, I was looking at the actual numbers themselves for, like, for example, GDP this year. And basically, people are looking at, let's call it minus 5.5% US GDP, but the numbers range from, like, minus 10 to zero. So the ranges are enormous. So being able to pin it on... Um, some kind of economic uh, idea of the future under this massive uncertainty seems a very vague reason to be massively bearish on the dollar. And your question asks, we don't know what it is. And if we don't know what it is, how can you change your view? Yes, the numbers are changing. People are selling dollars. But it's very difficult to find a good reason for why they're doing it in my eyes. Mm. So if if you want to trade the ranges at the moment, um because let's face it, one has to be flexible. If the market is doing something you don't agree sure, with, absolutely. you can't stand there and uh, and ignore it. W- what are the alternatives to own at this point against the dollar to take advantage of uh, this uh, movement we're seeing? Well, we always argued, uh, um, you know, when, when the dollar lost its interest rate advantage, we took the dollar from the top of the pile to the middle. So we went from being super bullish in January, the dollar, which worked out very nicely, to kind of, you know, liking the dollar against the euro and sterling and CAD, but disliking the dollar against your Aussies, your Kiwis, your Stockies, your Nokis and your Swissies. So we've got the dollar somewhere in the middle. And uh, as we saw yesterday, the dollar went uh, very strong against ruble and Turkey. And so there's, there's still a lot out there to play for. So 
there are some currencies that should do well against the dollar. And we, we, we've admitted that a month ago or so, and they've done quite well. We just didn't expect the euro to go as far as it has. And you will have uh, seen, um, as we've been reporting, that there are um, quite sensible organizations out there like uh, Goldman Sachs, for example, who are now talking seriously about the dollar's loss of reserve status and the reemergence of gold as a currency. Um, well, I must, you correct you. I must correct you slightly there because you said saying now. These, these people have been saying it for two and a half years and have lost your fortune. They just keep saying the same thing. Now, you may say, I'm saying the same thing. I'm dollar bullish. I did change my dollar bull, my call from being bearish to bullish about two years ago. It's all well documented. But go back and look at what these people were telling you before. They've been telling you the dollar's falling all the time. And thank you very much. Telling me at $2,000 an ounce that gold's going to do well. Why don't you tell me at $1,300? I'm already here. And those same organizations, if you remember, got bullish on oil at 100 bucks a barrel. So anyone can jump on a trend. The idea of forecasting is saying what you think is going to happen in the future. I don't want to hear these now costs. So to say that gold's going up is a now cost. And then they're telling me the dollar's losing its reserve currency status. That's just poppycock. Yeah, they were saying that pre-COVID, but since we've had this virus, we have seen uh, central banks engage in uh, further loosening and money printing. Surely the implications of that lead to some debasement of currencies. Well, I'm just looking here. I mean, Brazil's still down 20, South Africa's still down 15, emerging markets have still been smoked against this so-called weak dollar. Um, and now the euro is up 4% on the euro against the dollar and everyone's going absolutely nuts. Come on, give me a break. 4% move. We saw 1.2% move yesterday on, on Russia and Turkey. So we've seen the euro go up 4% against the dollar this year. It's the end of its reserve currency status. Come on. Let's get realistic. The dollar's up in double digits against many, many emerging markets just this year. And if you look at the trend of the dollar against them, it's amazing. And the euro's kind of gone from, you know, 110 to 117, and this is the end of the dollar. Come on. I don't believe that one little bit. The dollar has just saved the world with the cross-currency swaps only two or three months ago. It saved us from certain doom, and suddenly it doesn't matter anymore. You know, these are now casters and anyone can now cost and look at the silver price and say, yeah, you know, I think silver's going up or look at the gold price and say it's going up. That's rolls of the tongue, the now cost. But what's your forecast? And my forecast is the dollar will still do very well this year. What about the um, the loss of um, interest rate differential advantage, though? I yeah. mean, the we're sitting here waiting to hear what the Fed has to say about the world. And the expectation is given what we saw about that extension of some of the lending programs here, that it takes a relatively uh, bearish view of growth prospects from here on in. It, it, look, if, if, if the uh, defensive uh, nature of the dollar hasn't saved it here, the loss of any interest rate uh, differential advantage is not going to help it, is it? Yeah, well, you're right. So the dollar, in my view, was the top of the pile and it's gone to the middle. But let's just get this straight. The dollar's interest rates are still higher than euro, Swiss, yen, sterling and stocky. So it's in the middle. I mean, it's lower than Noki, Aussie, New Zealand and CAD. But the dollar's gone from the top of the pile in that uh, spectrum into the middle. And also, I don't think the market trades interest rate differentials at the moment. You know, these are big structural issues. And I think people are taking a philosophical stance uh, as you've spoken about and saying, I think it's the end of this, the beginning of that. 
And, and that's causing big moves. But there's nothing really in the data to prove that. And if that's what you believe, that's fine. But, I, you know, there's a suddenly turn against the dollar um, because it's got a twin deficit, for example. It's had twin deficits since the 1980s, and we've had a bull market and bear market. Um, so I don't get why you should be super bearish the dollar. I agree that currencies go up and go down as the vagaries of the economy move up and down. But that is just cyclical moves, and I can... I can say fine, but is this the beginning of some kind of structural downturn in the dollar? It's just saved the world. Where are you coming from? Briefly, David, um, where for the pound from here? Do we break 130 and move on? Well, everything you're worried about in the US is bigger and worse in the UK. You're worried about twin deficits, we got them. You're worried about the political side of the US election, we got still Brexit to negotiate. You know, so structurally, cyclically, politically, we are worse than the US. So I think I think Sterling's in for a torrid time. I see it's is running beautifully at the moment, and there's no doubt about it. But we've, we've got big problems, and it ain't the reserve currency, and it's not the world's global superpower. So it's got every problem the dollar's got. So why should it be rising against the dollar? It makes no sense to me. I'm still sterling bearish. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.